Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to His Word being preached. Not long after that, the younger son got together, all he had, set off to a distant 
country, far country, and they squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him uh, to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against the Lord against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Queen, bring the best robe and bring on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and his alive again was lost and he's found. And so they began to celebrate. Father, we just thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is living and powerful and sharper than any virtuous sword. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you will instruct us from your word, that you will teach us, Lord. But we know that your word is one of the few things that does not have its origin in this world. Thank you that your word is one of the few things that can give us a perspective, and as it were, an objective perspective from outside this world, so we can see ourselves clearly, so we can see the world clearly, and so we can see you clearly. We pray, Spirit, that you will help us see in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I don't know how far I'm going to get. Um, this uh, morning's run was a bit um, longer than, than usual, so um, I think I'm going to cut my a bit shorter. Uh, so we'll see how far I get. Firstly, I just want you to, to notice something. Uh, we read that first portion of, of this parable. Jesus said to there was a man who had two sons, and the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. And, and we sort of read that or, or hear that without, you know, without it making much of an impression on us, you know, without us sort of um, being surprised at it or, or you know, batting an eye at it or, or whatever. We just read it, it's like, hmm, okay, interesting. Nice little introduction to the story, sort of setting the stage. And, 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 and um, that just means that we don't really get what's going on here. I mean, right from the very first lines of this parable, the original audience would be absolutely shocked at what is being said here. I mean, it, it, it would have been completely shocking to them. Because, I mean, what's happening here is this, this younger brother, there are these two brothers, and um, I worked in those days, you had the law of primogeniture. So, you took whatever the property was, and then at the father's death, uh, you divided by the amount of sons, the, the daughters in those days didn't inherit, the sons inherited, the, the daughters were expected to get married and their husbands' inheritance uh, were, were, was theirs. Uh, or, you know, they 
cheating their husbands, inheritance. So he took the sons, so if there were you know, two sons, it was the two sons, and then you added one, plus one, and then you divided the inheritance by that. So the two sons, you divided the inheritance in, into three. The youngest, the youngest son got one, one third, and then the oldest son always got the eldest, the first one always got double what he wanted. So if there were four sons, it would be one plus, four plus one, five. Uh, everyone would get one fifth, and the oldest son would get two fifths. The double portion of what everyone else got. So that is what this youngest son is saying. Father, divide the inheritance and give me my portion. But here's the problem. The father's still alive. He didn't get the inheritance until the father died. So what the son is saying is, Father, I wish you were dead. Boom, how's that for a shot in the gut? This is not a peaceful little introduction to a parable. This is a son who hates his father and wishes he was dead. He was dead. So that, you know, here's the real thing. He says, Father, I don't like you. I wish you were dead, but I like your stuff. I want your stuff. I want your possessions, but I don't want you. I want you to be dead so I can get your possessions.
unmaterialistic. Do not want the Father, but you want His stuff. And another thing I want you to see is um, we, we don't think, I mean, this, this younger brother here, he's rebellious, he's irreligious. I mean, he ends up in, in a far country, so he's not only leaving his father's house, he's leaving his father's country. So he, he, he's, he's, he's a Jew, so he's leaving the Jewish country, he ends up in a, in a country where they farm with pigs, which is not a Jewish country. <laughs> Jewish, your, your average Jewish breakfast is not bacon and eggs. Pigs, unclean animals. So he goes to a different country and he's living it up. So we think of him as irreligious. We think of, 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 of this younger brother as not someone who's looking for salvation. We think of him as someone who doesn't care about salvation. Actually, he cares very deeply about salvation. Actually, what he's looking for is exactly salvation. But here's the thing. The thing that he thinks he needs salvation on is the he thinks the Father has all this stuff, but he's so stuck up, and he's got all these rules, and, he, and he's, he's, his very presence is so inhibiting. My salvation is in getting his stuff and getting out of his presence so I can be free to enjoy myself. Can you see? He's actually looking for salvation. What the younger brother does by demanding his inheritance, wishing the father dead, demanding his inheritance, and then making off for a far countries, he's trying to obtain salvation. He's actually trying to save himself from his father because he thinks that what's he needs salvation of is his father. And you see that irreligious people are also looking for salvation. We think of religious people as looking for salvation, and that is true. But irreligious people are looking for salvation as much. They just define salvation differently. They just see the thing that they need to be saved from differently. They need to be saved from the Father, from God, from His oppressive rules and presence, His inhibiting presence, which prevents them from enjoying themselves and being truly free. Can you see that? Whether you're religious or whether you're irreligious, All of us, apart from the grace of God, are busy with our own self-salvation project. We might see the need of what thing, the problem that we need to be saved from differently. If you really just see seeing as you know God Himself and His, His inhibiting rules, if you religiously see it as something different, but all of us are trying to save ourselves. And then the second thing, I mean, that's the first thing that would have surprised the original audience. The son wants his father dead and just wants his inheritance. Um, I mean, what would have been expected? Uh, we, we don't appreciate what's going on here as much um, because we don't understand their culture. Our culture is a more uh, a guilt, fear type of culture. Their culture back then was much more honor, shame type culture. Because our culture is an individualistic Western culture, and obviously our South Africa our culture is not uniform. I would say white culture tends to be more, Afrikaner and English culture tends to be more individualistic, whereas um, African culture tends to be a bit more collective. We still have, you know, the concept of Ubuntu, you know, and collective identity. And honor and shame maybe means a bit more to, to 
African cultures than it does to, to Afrikaans and English culture. But even, even if that is true, our culture in general is Westernized. And I think even African culture is becoming more individualistic. Am I right, Is that not true? I think it is. More and more, under Western influence, all of South African culture, even though it is diverse, is becoming more individualistic. And because of that, it's, it's, it's a very guilt, fear type culture. But back then, culture was almost exclusively corporate. Almost exclusively. And it was an honor-shame culture. It was the most important thing was to honor, not only your individual honor. In fact, honor wasn't the individual thing. It was a corporate thing, the honor of your family. So here comes the sun. And I mean, you can imagine, you know, they didn't have internet in those days and social media, but there was a grapevine. <laughs> the news spread. Good Jewish boy from rich father up the street wants his dad dead so he can have his money and go off to a far country and enjoy himself. Can you just imagine the shame that would be on the, on the family? We don't understand the connection in our culture that, well, we don't fully understand the connection that, that um, Jews had with the land. I mean, remember, they were slaves in Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt. They owned nothing. In fact, they were owned. And then they came to the promised land, which was their own now. And everyone was supposed to have access to the land. I think maybe black South Africans can understand that a little bit better than us white South Africans. Because I think black South Africans experienced a little bit of that in the past. But they saw the land as not only the land belonging to them, but they belonging in some sense to the land. And the land what was what was was the thing that gave you production power. And the land was the thing that gave you status as a family and honor as a family. The worst thing that could happen is that you could get into debt and lose your land. And that's why God built in this every 50 years, the year of Jubilee, where all land had to be restored. Because God's justice required that everyone had access to the land and to the production of the land. Maybe that's something we should consider in South Africa. I don't think um, expropriation of land without compensation is a good idea, but I do think equal distribution of land is a very good idea. A very and in the Jewish culture, they understood that they had this connection with the land. And, and when it says, I mean, the second thing, uh, like I said, that, that's what surprised the original audience is, is this father's response to this boy, this cheeky, disrespectful, cold, clinical boy who says, Father, I want you to be dead so I can have your stuff. It, the father's response is, he sells his property and gives it. He divides it and gives it to this boy. I mean, that wouldn't be unheard of. It's a shame, an unashamed culture. I mean, what the father should would have been expected socially to do is run this boy out of town and treat and then reject him completely and treat him as an outcast until he comes groveling back or something. The father doesn't. The father actually sells his property. And, and in, in, the, in the NIV that I was reading from, it says the father sold his property. And, and, and that's only because the translators struggle a bit with how to translate the word that is used there, that is translated property. It's actually the word bios, bios in, in, in the Greek. We 
from if you get out of the word biology, biological life, bios means life. It, it, it literally says he divided his life. For them. For the living tree and then they have one third to the so the second thing that would be massively surprising is this father's response. The father actually says, I take it. I take it. And, and, and I think that, I, th- I think the reason why we often don't find that surprising about that, because God the Father deals in exactly the same way with so many people in this world who don't believe in him. He says, fine, you can have my stuff. You can enjoy my stuff. You can enjoy the food I make. You, you can enjoy the, 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 all the, the wonderful things I'm creating. You can breathe the air that I that I know. You, you can enjoy the sex that I create. You, you can you can have a family that, that I create for you and enjoy that. Have all of it. Even though you hate me and want me dead, enjoy all of it. And it's because we sometimes forget that God created everything that we're not shocked at how generous God the Father deals with us in this, in this world. He's so generous, so ridiculously generous. So he doesn't care about his honor. Well, it's not that he doesn't care about his honor, but he doesn't take it. He, he, he's not vindictive and spiteful to say, "Oh, you dishonored me, you know, now I'm going to get you back." He gives everything people ask for, even though people want him dead. I mean, what kind of a father is that? What kind of a God is that? Amazing God. Um. But then, maybe I should just actually stand a little bit more here. What this shows us, and I think this is something that should really speak to us as Jobers. What this shows us is that we tend to look to the things we for salvation in the things that we think we ultimately need. The things that we need most. And that is our God. That is our God. The things that we think we ultimately need most. And this boy thought he needed the Father's possession more than he needed the Father. So if I can pull the, the streets through, I'm talking about my God for you. What is his true God? His true God was not God, if we pull the analogy of the parable, his true God was possessions. How many people are there in Jehovah? Their true God is possessions. Even many sitting in church, God will serve you if, if you give me so and so. Whatever follows the if, that's your true God. God will serve you as long as you, whatever follows the as long as, that's your true God. I'll feel secure and happy if I have this. Whatever this is, that is your true God. If you have God and you say, I'm not happy because I'll only really be happy if I also have this, then whatever this is, is your true God. God you have now, is there not your true God? Is that harsh? I know it's harsh, but it's true. So often, we think we are worshippers of God, and actually we worshippers of something else. Whatever your heart wants most, that is your God. 
Whatever makes your heart feel most secure, that is your God. If you say, God, I, I, I serve you, I'm, I'm a disciple of Jesus and, and all that, but God, I don't feel too secure. One day when I, when I have like my first million in the bank, then I'm going to feel secure. Well, that first million is your God. God's not going to do Lord, I, I, I'm a follower of Jesus and I, and, I, and, I, and I really love you and you're my God and I worship you. But, but one day when I have a spouse, then I'll really feel happy and secure. Well, that spouse is your God. That's your real God. You see, we have to be not brutally honest, but lovingly honest with ourselves. Our hearts, as human beings, our hearts are, are factories of idols. We create idols all the time, and we tend to most naturally look to other things, things apart from God, things other than God for our salvation. And you know what God does? He tries to convince us that we're wrong, but if we don't want to listen, he says, Go and have your idol. Go and enjoy your idol. Go and see if you can save you. And the reality is, we all end up like the prodigal son, wasting, destroying the thing that we thought would save us, and eventually being slaves in the place that we thought would free us. So, let me read just from verse 13 to 16 as well. It says, Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off to a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, he was, there was a severe famine in the whole uh, country, and began to be in need. So he went and hired himself uh, out to a citizen of that country, and who sent him uh, to his field to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his, his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And we see what happens is his heart is exposed, he leaves the father's house because he never wanted the father, he just wanted the father's stuff. As soon as he had the father's stuff, he was out of there. Relationship with the father was not important to him. He goes to a far country and he lives out what he thinks of as salvation. Salvation is freedom for me to do what I want. How many people are there in this world? How many people are there in the city who see salvation as I will be saved one day when I'm free to do whatever I want? Let's take it a bit closer. How many of us think of salvation as that? How many of us as businessmen dream of one day when I've got enough money to do what I want? How many of us as leaders think of uh, if, if only the people I'm leading will, will let me do what I want or, or, or will always do what I want them to do because, you know, I want the freedom of them serving me, not the, 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 the inhibition of me serving them as Jesus commands in Scripture. I mean, we've seen examples of leaders like that in the news nowadays. So many of us think of that salvation, freedom to do what I want. But, but that's not even real freedom for crying out loud. Freedom is not the ability to, to do what you want, it's the ability to do what you ought. 
Freedom is not the ability to do what you want to do, it's the ability to do what you're supposed to do. If you, if you're not, if you cannot do what you're supposed to do, you're not free. So he goes to this far country, and what does he do? He wastes his inheritance. He wastes the thing, the very God, the very idol that he thought would save He wastes it. Guess what? You will always destroy your idols, and guess what? Your idols will always destroy you. Whatever you make your God, you will destroy it, and it will destroy you. That's a very sobering thought, people. If you're unmarried, and you're tempted to make your future spouse your God, the, the one that will save you. Guess what? You're going to destroy it. No one can bear that weight. Not no one. There's only one actually who can bear that weight. And that's God. Only God. It's only, God is the only one who will be safe in the position of God in your life. No other human being can bear that weight of expectation. It will crush them. I mean, imagine being married to someone who expects you to save him. Because the reality is, so often in our marriage we expect that. We expect our spouse to make us happy. We expect our spouse to save us, basically. And we destroy our spouse and our marriage. And then ladies, I just want to talk to you and you again now. So I think you are especially, in terms of marriage, you are especially in that Just because of culture and, and the sort of Cinderella syndrome that culture holds up to us. And it's always the maiden in the stress that gets saved by the handsome prince. And we get conditioned. You get conditioned as, as from being young girls to expect salvation from some other prince and then you look at the wrong prince. You look at your husband. The, the fairy tale is accurate. You do need a prince to save you, but it's such a husband. There's another prince that can save you. It's not your husband. If you want to destroy your husband, you want to destroy your marriage, idolize him. Make an idol out of him. Guaranteed to destroy him. But not only will you destroy your idol, your idol will destroy you. Your idol will destroy you. And that's what we see with this, this guy. He ends up in the next time. When you're in the faraway country, when you're out of the father's house, you're always subject to the cycles of flood and famine. Life gets to you and there's no protection. There's no safety outside of the father's house. And, and this guy actually ends up, once again, the enemy has to sort of work it down a bit because it's, it's difficult to translate. Literally, it says in the Greek, he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. It, it doesn't say he just hired himself out. It says he joined himself. And, and that joining is actually the language that is often used with covenant. And it seems like he made a slave master by covenant. I'm saving myself as a slave to you. If you'll just take care of me and feed me. It seems he actually joined something covenant to one of the citizens of that country. And guess what? This guy ends up abusing him. Go to the pig style. Go feed the pigs. He's so hungry, he eat the pot that the pigs are eating, but this guy doesn't give him any food. And then he realizes in the light of the contrast between this guy that he made a covenant with. And his father, in which he was in, in the son in the house, part of the father's covenant family. When he sees this contrast, he realizes this is not right. 
this is not wrong. So, um, often we realize in order to get the salvation that we need, we need to join ourselves to someone. I mean, this, this, this poor son makes two mistakes. I'm going to end with this. Firstly, he thinks his salvation lies in stuff, in possessions rather than person. And he realizes his great shock that doesn't save him. Then he says, okay, well, possessions don't say, I need a person to save me. Let me go and join myself in covenant and sell myself as a slave to the citizen of the country. Right idea. You do need a person to save you. Wrong person. He had the right idea. You need a person to save you. But he joined himself to the wrong person. How often do we do that? How many people do that? Every day. You see, there's only one person. And it's the one who doesn't have their own interest in mind. But who has your best interest in mind. You see, everyone else, if you join yourself to them, if you sell yourself to them, and then and the reality is, whatever you seek your salvation in, in the point, I mean, there are so many people, so many people in Joburg who, who like this younger brother, they want freedom. I need to be saved, I need to be free. And they end up in deeper bodies than they've ever been before. And they end up victims of people who have their own interest in Have you ever been a victim of such people? Then you turn that coin around. Have you ever been such a person that has taken advantage of others? All of us have. All of us have been victims. All of us have been perpetrators. We take advantage, advantage of one another because of just our humanity. But there is one who will not take advantage of you. Only one who totally gave up his own interests so that he could give us what we really need. And when we surrender to Him, when we sell ourselves, when we join ourselves to Him in covenant, when we sell ourselves as slaves to Him, He will not send us to a big star to work for Him and to benefit Him. Why? Because He's already been to the big star Himself. So that you don't have to be out there. And that one is Jesus. That one is Jesus. So I want, I want you, what I want you to see this morning is that, that all of us have our self-salvation projects. And all of us in the natural tend to look to the wrong, wrong stuff. We tend to look to possessions rather than a person. And even when we do look to a person, we just often look to the wrong person. Let us look to the right person to solve us. Let us look to Jesus. The only one who's actually experience the worst big time or the cosmic big time. Where he's going to cosmically abused. And he will not abuse us. He will love us. And he will save us. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Johannesburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www dot